What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Sephora stores are everywhere you are. So just pop in when you need a brown lip to match your 90s playlist. A confidence boost before your interview or a last-minute gift for mom's birthday. There's always a Sephora near you. Just pop in. Use our store locator to find your local Sephora or Sephora at Kohl's. Forever. Dog. On today's episode of Weekend at Bergman's, here comes the hot steppers. We're taking a peek behind the curtain of high fashion to learn more about the clothes you love and the people who make them. That's a terrible, <laughs> terrible introduction. <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> For both of these films. Representing the art house, it's Rainer Werner Fastbinders, The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kahn from 1972. And representing the mainstream, it's 2006's The Devil Wears Prada, starring Meryl Streep and Anne Hathaway. Joe, are you ready? Oh, yeah. Then roll that theme song. Every week, the you one somebody and wrote. I watch two movies together. Well, not quite together, because we watch them apart. Submitted you at your house and me at mine. Whoa. Every week, we watch the same two movies. The Bitter Devil Tears of Petra von Prada. But how do we choose these two movies? You're changing it up like the song's Well, one is a beautiful, brilliant work of cinematic art. The height Please of the be media. That's opening a champagne bottle in the studio. one oh. is mainstream. Oh, my face. He nailed it, folks. I'm talking popcorn, baby. Hollywood and <laughs> But what happens when we watch them back to back and have to say which one right, you know, I love we like stuff. better uh, and you yeah. have to be honest. Welcome. Welcome to Weekend at Bergman's. We're going to watch an art house movie and a mainstream movie. movie. And we're going to tell you which one we like better. And the one that we like better is going to go into the canon. And the one that we didn't like as much is going to go in the trash canon. And we're never allowed to watch it again for the rest of our stinking lives. Uh, My name is Brett Boehm, and I'm seated across from my co-host, Joe Cilio. Joe, we are looking great. You're bringing it. You're bringing it. Thanks. We're both bringing it. We're popping <laughs> champagne in the theme song. I'm going to take a sip of mine. Yeah, me too. Oh. Mm. You ever just get yourself a fucking bottle of oh. Lamarco Prosecco, everybody? Lamarco yeah, Prosecco. You ever just say, fuck it. Just get me the fucking Lamarco. The finest bubbly on the market. Why not? Lamarco Prosecco. It's great. Oh, it's never not right. It'll do for 85% of your needs, for your Prosecco needs. It's so good. Joe, if yeah. people aren't, if this week... Every week, but this week in particular, if people yep. aren't subscribed to Forever Dog Plus, if they're not watching these episodes, they are missing the dang boat because yeah. we are 
We're watching two films this week about high fashion, about couture. Yep. And we dressed the part. We took the cues. Yes. And learned. Every week we dress uh, like the movies. Uh, Joe dresses like the mainstream movie. I dress like the art house movie. Uh, I am, uh, as you've uh, gathered by this point, a, more of the sophisticated of the two of us. Joe is a little <laughs> bit more of the, uh, you know, man on the street uh, kind of person. Uh-huh. Um and so that's why I always do the art you house look like movie. Doctor the... Eggman from Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> I was going for uh, for David Hockney hits the high seas. Oh, that's good too. I pirate, love that. Pirate David Hockney. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, we both were we both wore fur. Yeah, uh, that was uh, that was quite a choice. We heard the word fashion, folks, and me and yeah. Brett said nothing's more fashionable we than a big fur coat. We know this one. We nailed it. We both thought fur coat, funny glasses, that'll do just fine. Whether it's the West German classic, the bitter tears of Petra von Kahn, oh, what a or the, I don't know, 2006, nine. nine Stinker, classic, the Devil Wears, the Devil Wears Prada. Prada. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. We both look great. We both went to our nearest, uh, finest uh, vintage thrift stores. We combed the racks. Mm. We we found our looks. Um, really interesting. I mean, there's 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 true color schemes going on in both of our looks. There's real yeah. choices that were made. Yeah. Uh, this is not a yeah. This is not a joke. This is not us no. clowning around. This is. Uh, uh, we really went for looks this week, and I really, I, I'm happy with what we both came up with here. I, I think, think we look I think, great. I think you guys yeah. should check us out at foreverdog.plus. $5 a month, folks. You can get every weekend at Bergman's ad-free video episodes in your email. And, folks, you get the looks. You also get the scene studies, Brett. Oh, uh, you get the looks. You we, get to watch the movie when we do the scene studies. You watch the movies. You get ad free. Uh, you, you get, get, you get all the other videos. Forever Dog podcast ad free. You get double threat videos. You get Black you get Men so Can't Jump ad free. And this is still $5 a month? $5 a month. That is a steal. That is an outright steal. Your uh, Our loss is your gain, though. Go ahead and grab it for 5 bucks while you still can. Forever Dog Plus. Now, I. Uh, I want to start off with, in the spirit of today's episode, fashion, couture, the looks, uh, I thought, why don't we do a little game? Yeah. Uh, uh, and I gave you a heads up on this, so you brought in your answers already. Yeah, thank you. What if we went back and we we, we looked at all the films that we've already talked about on Weekend at Bergman's, and we pick our top five looks, our top five fits from the, the movies that we've already seen? Uh, so that, you know, I'm not going to list them all. You can go back in your podcast app and see. Uh, but we, we've done, you know, 10, 11 episodes at this point. Uh, so it's like 20 plus movies. So many great fits. So many great looks. So many movies. great fits. This I really had hard. trouble whittling very it down. Hard. That was Man, the movies, they, folks, they, they give you it all. They give you the glitz. They give you the glam. And our, our groups of films is no, no joke. A lot of amazing looks except national treasure some of the worst costuming i've ever seen some of the worst just, looks just, and, uh, just, and just uh, zero creativity in a movie where you can have some fun and i'll go ahead and say i, I had an yeah. honorable mention for worst fit yeah uh, she's out of my league also had some terrible oh. fits uh tj miller in uh, she's out of my yep. league at one point is uh wearing a t-shirt that says stud muffin and there's just a little cartoon of a muffin uh-huh. uh that might be the worst one of the worst fits i've ever no, seen no, on no. camera that, that, uh, that's that a is, truly terrible that's fit. not good uh now let's get to our top five great Great fits. Our top five fits 
uh, from Weekend at Bergman's Movies Past. I mean, combined, I mean, a lot of people are saying this is our top 10 fits. Top 10 fits. All right. Now, hopefully, if we don't have any do-overs, we have to plumb around for, for an extra one. But So we're, we're going 5 to 1, Brett, 10 to, 10 to 1. It's a fit. It's real fashion. It's a look. You're a stunner. Yeah, you're looking really great. You look really fucking great. You look great. You look great. You look really, really great. Yes, you look really, really, really fucking great. Is that why we started the show 30 minutes late today? Yeah, I had to get every... <laughs> you had to hammer that one out. get some of those lines to scan. It took longer than usual. <laughs> number five. At guy. number five, give me your um, your fifth best fit. Your fifth best fit from Weekend at Bergman's uh, past. The fifth best fit of any Bergman's movie we've watched thus yes. far. Folks, it's just going to be John McClane and his sexy little white tank top. Okay. Uh, and he's all sweaty and blood ridden and he's, and he's got his jeans and boy does he look sexy. I'm going with John McClane right in the thick of it in Die Hard. Bruce Willis's character in Die Hard, that is a, you know, fashion is often about simplicity, about paring things down it's, to their it's essentials. Iconic. It's And iconic. that's where you get the iconic looks. Uh, it's something it's an that iconic is, look that everyone could do, and yet only one person yeah. could do right. You have, to, you have to be kind of on losing your hair a smidge. Oh, yeah, but, but, every but, but piece you're of it. Built, it's perfect. Yes. It's a great fit. It the blood is a great accessory. The, the blood is a fantastic blood, accessory. God yes. damn, McLean looks good, and McLean's going to be my f- number five. Brett, what do you got in your number five slot? At number five, I have uh, from Gummo, I have Eddie, the tennis player with ADD. Uh, Eddie, the uh, tennis player with ADD. A really, a really stunning, stunning, just like American trash look. Yeah. I mean, everything in that movie is American trash, but this, that look, you have a red tank top, you have white, uh, like, tennis shorts, uh, he's got the mullet with like the li- the fade with the lines. Like he, uh, I mean, what a uh, talk about iconic! That haircut is iconic. But Eddie, the tennis player, and he's like, and then when he drinks water, he sort of pours it down his face. So funny! And I know the fans put it in the trash can, and we can never watch Gummo again, Brett. But folks, that's right. Yes, uh, we'll always remember Eddie's look. We'll always have Eddie's tennis look. look absolutely. It, you know, we're always in danger of never seeing movies again. That's that's the agreement that's we've the made. We uh, so you know, I watched Gummo with that in mind. I watched it one last time. I watched it close. I watched it with purpose. Watch it pure. I will never see Eddie the tennis player nope. in the film ever again. Nope. But damn, that's damn a look. look that look is burned into my mind. Who you got number four? Number four, Brett. How could I avoid Fashion Week? I'm going with a look uh, of Petra von Kahn's. I'm going wow. with her. I'm going with her Act Four stunner. Act Four, okay. the green dress yep. with yeah, the yeah. red flower necklace. Yep. Um, yep. There's lots of insanely cool and bizarre. Sort of a choker, right? The red flower sort of yes. choker. There. She has yeah. a giant yeah. red yeah. flower as a choker with yeah. like a slim green velvet dress, and then she rolls around on a white shag carpet, drinking gin and screaming. And I said, "Now that's a fucking look. That's a look. Now that's a fucking look. That's a." fit uh petra looks incredible in the whole movie as we'll talk about as do the other characters that's a fit um and she's costume changing every act there's a new costume it's a wonderful movie. uh but i like your pick Thanks i think act much. four uh, act four, act is four the winner. Petra. yeah act four, petra. uh at number four we did not like this movie nobody liked this movie uh but damn i love this fit i'm going with aunt vera in secret of my success aunt vera in secret of my success <laughs> played by margaret witten okay yes uh so many, I mean, so many, she gives us so many fits, uh, but I'm thinking when she wears that like really wide brim hat with the top that's cut off, you know, so you can see yeah. her hair uh, poofing through. Yeah. And then she has sort of a like, 
um, sort of like a business suit, but it's very, all her clothes are always, they look very comfortable, but they're also very well tailored. Annie mm. Vera ha- must have the best damn tailor in Manhattan because mm. she looks, everything is just so fucking bespoke and the lines mm. are perfect. The silhouette is perfect. Mm. She moves great in those clothes. Mm. She makes them look great. Fashion is not just about the clothes. It's about how you wear the clothes. And Annie Vera wears the shit out yep. of those clothes. Yep, yep, yep. Annie Vera, my pick for number four, yep. best fit. Mm-hmm. Who you got at number three? Number three fit, folks, on the best fits of Bergman's thus far. I got to go with the entire cast of Goddess and Showgirls, namely Gina Gershon. Okay, okay I'll, allow it. I'll um, allow it. What you're saying, Joe, that's not a costume at all. That's just a very thin cheetah print thong and a cheetah print headband on Gina Gershon, to which I say, that's right, folks. Did you see the effing film? She looks great. That's a and fit. It's not, just, it's, not any, fit. it's not just any print. It's so funny the one that they choose for the whole goddess number, the cheetah prince. It just gives it that like distinctive sort of scummy Las Vegas edge, but also it's, you know, kind of sexy, but it's also sort of kind of vulgar and a little overdone. And she looks incredible in it, obviously. She's beautiful. And it's very, uh, f- that whole musical, me and Brett, as you might remember in the pod, we thought that was just the bee's knees. We'd see Goddess today. We'd get on a plane, fly to Vegas and, and watch it. Bring back the large uh, cabaret erotica. Bring back um, Goddess. I, I tweeted it when we Goddess, watched Showgirls. Yeah. I said, the first casino that puts on a faithful uh, we'll rendition of Goddess, you get all of our money. I'll We're be gonna there. Go. I'll be there uh, night one. You can have my entire life savings. I'll go see Goddess. Whoever wants to do it, even that uh, fucking loser Steve Wynn. If he puts it on, I'll go see. If it. It Steve Wynn matter. puts up Goddess, Brett and I will attend. No problem at all. all right, Brett, who you got Steve number three? Wynn. That's fine, Steve. Who we got number three? Uh, I would also like to say before we move on, yeah. uh, I, I'm really glad that you picked. Yeah, this is an excellent fit uh, from Showgirls. I would also add, not on my list, but I would also add, um, uh, Nomi uh, in the pool. The argument being that the pool, she's wearing the pool in that. In that, that's beautiful. she dominates that scene so much. Uh, when she fucks Kyle McLaughlin mm-hmm. in the pool, mm-hmm. she's wearing McLaughlin. She's wearing the mm-hmm. pool. She's wearing that whole damn scene. But I appreciate your restraint. That's a because fit. I, 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 that's the beautiful. I completely agree. I appreciate your restraint though, because you already said Anne Vera, and she also wore the hell out of that pool. That's true. In the sex scene of the that's secret true. of my success, it seemed too similar. So it's it just too similar. similar. But, but yeah. I love that. I love the take. So who, who you got number three? And number Brett? three, I've got. I previously said this was the sexiest performance in film history, and I stand by it. I've got uh, Trinity in the Matrix, Carrie Ann Moss in the Matrix. Um, a lot of great fits in the Matrix. A lot of great looks. You got Morpheus. Uh, Neo might be my least favorite fit, uh, to be honest, in The Matrix, but uh, a lot of great fits. Trinity, though, the black leather, the end of century vibes. Who's arguing? Uh, cyberpunk. Come on. Um, Come it's, on. It's, it's, a, it's like goth and cyberpunk and fucking the future and everything together and the past. Come on. I fucking love Trinity's looks and her fits in The Matrix. That's my number three. Who you got number two? Brett, do you know? That the creative team over at In the Mood for Love, they made 46 distinct. You do know it. You're making a wry smile and stealing your one or two. That's fine. Do you know they tailored 46 (laughs) outfits for Maggie Chung to wear in In the Mood for Love? Every single one, an absolute zinger. But to be specific, I'm going to go with her green checkered dress that she wears uh, when she's working at her boss's office in In the Mood for Love. I'm going, and look, if there's two, there's two, folks. It's the, some of the best costuming and most beautiful art uh, costuming of all time. Brett and I are obsessed with In the Mood for Love. I'm not surprised to see it twice if it comes up twice, but I'm going Maggie Chung and her uh, green checkered dress in In the Mood for Love. 
Joe, you will not believe this. At number two, yeah. I too yep. have Mrs. Uh, Chan, Maggie Chung, and in, in the mood for love. Come on, uh, I didn't narrow it down. I love the floral print oh, uh, that I she wears the uh, when they finally have to have their sort of breakup scene. Uh, I love that floral print. The, the style of that dress is called Chung Som. Chung Som dresses uh, was a style that was popular in uh, in. Uh, 1960s Hong Kong, British occupied Hong Kong, uh, and so and so Wong Kar Wai was like very specific about getting that style of dress to evoke that time period. Cool. And it works. Um, it works beautifully. Uh, so my number two, what a surprise! We both have the same number two. Wow. Uh, Maggie Chung in 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 the mood for love. Now here we go. God, I almost feel like we have the same number one. I wonder too. if we do. I think we might I, have the same number I don't one. Know, I don't know. All right, go for it. Who's your number one? The number one best fit of all of the films that we've watched <laughs> so far, folks. And you might be surprised to hear me say it, but I mean this from the bottom of my heart. It's iconic. It'll last till the ends of time. I'll never be able to see it again. It's Death's outfit in the Seventh oh! Seal. It's Death's outfit I, in the Seventh Seal, folks. What a choice. What yeah. a pick. I almost had Death in my list. Mm -hmm. He was one of my finalists. Mm -hmm. I think that is a real gutsy call. I think that's a great call. You can't be you can't classic black. It. You can't be classic black. It's it, it's such, the, it stands the test of time. Yeah, yeah, Millions yeah. have tried to copy it, and it's it never going to come close to Bergman's death, folks. Seventh Seal. At my number one, a movie that I can revisit and oh. will revisit, oh. I've got uh, a man who was uh, not long for this world, but his fashion will stand the test of time. I've got Bernie Lomax at number one. <laughs> Bernie was, Lomax. That was, uh, was also <laughs> going to be on my short list, too. That was, it's, speaking of death, oh, it's the same speaking thing. Speaking of death, it's, we're, we're basically it's saying the same, the same, we're saying same, the same thing. thing. I've got Bernie Lomax. the same thing in two different The ways. Windbreakers, mm. the Hamptons fucking cool. Yeah, he looks the, great. He's dressed as like yeah. a tax evader, and you love it. Yeah. Bernie Kaiser, Bernie Lomax, played by Terry Kaiser, is my number one. Uh -huh. Those are your top ten, I guess top nine fits. Uh, well, I guess we chose different um, Maggie Chung, top 10 Chung looks. In the Mood for Love gets two. Yes. Maggie and Chung really gets two. And really top 11, because I wanted to throw in uh, Nomi from from uh, Showgirls as an Oh, in the pool. Mention. So it, it's yeah. top 10 with, with two Maggies and, and an honorable, an honorable mention, mention for the pool. Wearing it's the pool. to your top fits. Yeah, if that's yeah, your top fits. Yeah. Uh, from, that was so ahead, fun. Please. I love all your looks. I'm so happy with the the variety. I think we nailed it. And I just want to say, as we go into this episode, folks, do you know what wasn't on our list? Not a single look from uh, the Devil Wears Prada, which we'll we'll get into. Yeah, I mean, and it's not going to be a smackdown. I'm gonna, I'm going to defend it as we talk. But holy moly, were all the looks in 2006 hor horrendous? I mean, you wow, can... that was yesterday's paper. Maybe in 10 years we'll watch that movie and go, okay. But every single look from top to bottom, whether it was Emily Blunt to Anne Hathaway to Meryl Streep, I didn't like the clothes. Brett, thank you. Sorry. You want to do the outro? No, uh, you no, keep you, talking. You, uh, I got, I got, you got a second here. Didn't love the clothes. Maybe I just don't get it. But also, rewatch the movie. Everyone looks horrible. Even sexy Stanley Tucci. That's a fit. That's real fashion. That's a look. You're a stunner. Yeah, you're looking really great. You look really fucking great. You look great. You look great. You look really, really great. Yeah, you look really, really, really fucking great. Hi everybody, Tim Heidecker here. We have a brand new Office Hours that just came out of the oven. We've got legendary psych rocker Ty Siegel. And Doug is back from down under. G'day. G'day. And his mommy came with him. Mommy and Gary Lusenhop are here too. 
Alicia let me know that she finished the White Album, has thoughts on that. So much more on this legendary episode of Office Hours. Find us on your podcast app of choice or watch us on YouTube at youtube.com slash office hours live. Who are the animals? Because I don't smell them. Let's start with the movie that you just mentioned, The Devil Wears Prada. Yeah. Uh, came out in 2006. I said 2009 before. I apologize. 2006. Uh, directed by David Frankel. The screenplay b- written by uh, Eileen Brosh McKenna, based on the Lauren Weisberger novel of the same name. Stars Meryl Streep, Anne Hathaway, uh, Emily Blunt. This was Emily Blunt's big breakout role was this movie. Uh, one of our we favorites, Stanley Blunt. Tucci, one of the greats. We love Stanley. Uh, another one of our favorites, Adrian Grenier and Simon Jeez. Baker. <laughs> Grenier is awful in this film. Like he, like, un- like he's awful in every film. He's the same guy. He totally stinks, and uh, he's a, he's a very cute. He's here's, a very cute guy. Here's where I want to start with. He's just not good. He's not good, folks. Folks, Grenier's just not got it. Devil wears Prada stands. What the fuck is going on here? What the fuck yeah, is going Brett, on? Get with it this all movie? out on the table. I'm gonna I've push heard, back, but okay, get it all out. I've, I'm gonna I've, let you just sing. I'd been uh I just, you know had seen thing, this man. is a movie I had seen scenes from. It's been on TV. I'd kind of floated in and out of, had a little sense of. I'd seen the famous uh, blue sweater scene and this and that. Um, I never sat down and watched it start to finish. This is the first time I watched it start to finish. I had heard it was like a fun movie, a good movie, get a great Meryl Street performance, this and that. This movie I I uh, this movie sucks. This movie I was I thought was really I thought this was one of the worst movies that we have seen. And even and even worse because like there's no we all she like she's out of my league. It's intent. It's supposed to be a bad. It's supposed to, nobody's like you know you know. You there's no this, bravery you, you in saying that's a bad be, movie. You thought it was going to be quite good. This is a movie that's trying to be good and thinks it's good and is not. This movie is boring. It makes no sense. It's basic and worst of all, the biggest crime of this movie. The one that I want to start with is that it has no fucking sense of fashion. And, Joe, that's what you were alluding to. This is a movie about the fashion world in which Meryl Streep is playing a Anna, Anna Wintour type at a Vogue-type magazine. Uh, she is at the top of the fashion game. And this movie has no fucking sense of fashion at all. It um, does have a sense of, like, commercialism and sort of marketing and selling fashion and selling products uh but it has no fucking in the way that bitter tears of petra von kant is fashion like is fashion personified this movie wouldn't know fashion if it sat on its fucking face this movie hey. is the fashion equivalent of a of a of a sarah borellis music video this Fuck movie off. this Wait, movie is taking the, it too far this movie is the there fashion. shall be no sarah borellis slander on my podcast allow me to clarify i think sarah borellis is very talented oh, okay. i think she's a fucking star of broadway good do you look at her music videos and Say that's fashion? No. I think this movie is the fashion equivalent of a fucking target. I think that Whoa. when I think that when Abby Shapiro goes through a couture phase, she's gonna dress like the people in this Abby movie. Abby Shapiro is a powerful young I influencer. Think, how dare you? I think this I think this movie is the exact opposite of everything that fashion stands for. It doesn't, it doesn't take any risk. And you're the king of fashion. It, thank you. I mean, look at me. It doesn't take any risk. You actually like you're you're pulling it off. The the two tone glasses are fucking insane on you. You look they really look good. So good. It's like that's that's such a subtle touch. The dark the dark colors though really work for you. Really work for you. You could just you have an you absolute. Could, you could just menace. wear that red coat with the red glasses and just come to work, and everyone would be like, "Yeah, Brett's like that cool guy." You actually, it's 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 a 
it's a powerful look, but you do pull it off. I said this. I said this before we started. Um, because I gathered all the pieces together. I didn't know how they were going to come together. I sort of had it in my mind how they were going to come together. I put it I put it together right before the show started. And then I looked in the mirror. I was like, I could I could lean into this. I could really get used to this. It's really not um, the end of the world. And I told it's you. Cool. Uh, just go to a Lakers I've game be more, just dress like this. I mean, we've got to be a little more weather appropriate. We're very, this is very heavy duty. This is like fall in New York kind of look. Um, yeah, we would thrive So we need we need right some now. touches, but like, I I saw. It's hundred. I'm not gonna lie. Outside. When I looked in the mirror, I saw David Hockney looking back at me, and I said, "You know what? I think I. I you think, know what? I think Hockney might Hockney's be a fashion. Fine, actually. Hockney might be a sort of fashion icon for me. Hockney might be someone that I can start to model myself. Forever Dog dot plus, folks. Forever Dog not dot com. Forever Dog dot plus. <sighs> anyway, Brett. Thank you for Have being. Have I said anything wrong? Have vulnerable. I said anything wrong? Yeah. I mean, look. I think here's what I think. First of all, about the fashion in the movie. I'm going to be here. Here's what I'm going to be, folks. Just like exceedingly generous for the next three minutes. Okay. Why? Sounds like a waste. Sounds like a waste of three minutes. Because because the movie's not. The movie's is it is is the movie. Okay. Here's what's weird. Here's the. Here's the. Can't stop looking at myself. Here's the. (laughs) Here's the. Here's what's going on right here. It's just a simple one of these. Here's just like a totally nice comedy that came out in 2006. Sure. That people were like, this is this is one of those movies where it's like. No, they should all be nominated for best comedy Golden Globe, and it's like it's like the you know they should all be voted for best actress in a comedy in the Golden Globes, which is like a telltale sign that the movie's not good. And then it's the kind of thing where it's like Meryl Streep's in it, like she should get nominated for an Oscar, which I guess she did. Um, um, you know, and then you know Meryl Streep is sort of like carrying it, and it has like the Emily Blunt and Anne Hathaway like backing it thing, and then people sort of liked it. And I think it was one of those things where people thought it was going to be so bad, but then it was like not so bad. And it was totally competent. Remember, this came out in 2006. 2006, folks, you know, the surge is happening. General McChrystal's surge. What the okay. fuck are you talking about? I'm talking about Iraq, You think that's Brett. a useful context for this movie? For me, it is. <laughs> I'm just remembering what happened in 2006, all right? We, we, Stanley McChrystal uh, has a new plan in Iraq. We're going to increase the number of troops. And you know what? They go in there for a time. And whatever the U.S. military thinks is good, they, they say, you know what? It's working for a time. And then the Devil Wears Prada comes out. The only surge I care about is surge soda. Am I right, people? The Devil Wears Prada comes out. Um, and 2006, so we're at 2022 right now. Maybe we're just that part of the fashion cycle where the looks in 2006 are abhorrent. But I think when this movie came no, out, no, oh, no, 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 this was back in my like entertainment weekly days. I think all of our entertainment weekly days, if you were one of the youngsters who was reading entertainment weekly religiously every week like I was, you, so know, much older you, than you. you know who you yeah, are. Keep going. That's fine. That's beautiful, you know? Um, it's beautiful for you. So I, you know, reading entertainment weekly, I, I bet if I could go back in time to 2006 to my, uh, my entertainment weekly with you know the cast of what show do you think was popular in 2006? 2006, like, let's see. A uh, popular show was uh, um, nominated. I want a definitive answer. Breaking on this. Bad season one came out in 2007. Uh, Heroes, Big Love, Heroes, Thirty oh, Rock, Big Love. Oh, th- uh, Kyle so X Y. Think about this, folks. You're sitting around. You're watching Heroes. You're going. You got to save the cheerleader, save the world. You know, you're a big Hayden Panettiere fan at this point in your life. You're sitting there. You're reading your Entertainment Weekly. I bet once you got through all the stuff about the surge. You'd find quite an article about all of the looks in The Devil Wears Prada, and they'd lay out the fashion. And this, what if, like, I bet this is one of those things. We could find a DVD special about how they're wearing high fashion in 2006. You think that in 2006, all these looks were completely and totally moot? They probably hired someone to, like, 
you know, let put me it together. You, let me tell you why you're just making my point here. I'm making okay? something let up. Me, let me, I mean, this no, is all fictional. Let me I'm just you, saying, but, uh, but I, this probably I was good. This actually raises yeah. a good point here. Right, I okay? appreciate that. Thank because you. The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant, which we'll get to, Incredible. came out in 1972, mm-hmm. right? And it doesn't fucking matter. The looks in that movie, it could have come out in 1961. It could have come out in 2020. It could have come out in fucking 2090. It doesn't matter. Fashion is about taking risks, about being bold, and that's how you become timeless. The looks in this movie are so fucking basic. They are trying to be so of, but not even like cool of the moment. They're just trying to be sort of like fit in of the moment. They're like scared to not be fashionable, and that is the opposite of fashion. All right, this movie is a is is a we're is in a the very 1972 in the moment face though. of fashion. You and I are about to wear fur coats. You it know is, what I mean? It is a uh, it's a a it, it's like you know when there there's a movie and there's like a a musician and. And then you finally hear their songs, and the songs are terrible, and it destroys the whole illusion of the movie. Or, or a, a you know, a, a movie about a writer, and then you finally get a little sample of their writing, and it's fucking awful. But they're supposed to be like the best writer in the world, and they're so tortured, and it destroys the whole illusion when you finally hear some of their writing. This movie can't fucking survive its lack of fashion because it's about fucking fashion, and it's about people who are intuitive about fashion. Margot, can we look at, uh, uh, let's go to 22, 22 minutes into The Devil Wears Prada, uh, the famous blue sweater scene, famous blue sweater scene. Hours and hours to prepare. Everybody looks terrible. Beiges, oranges. Where are the advertisers? Ill-fitting blazers. Oh, we have some pieces from Banana Republic. Well, we need more, don't we? Oh, this is... What do you think? Yeah. I think it's terrible. You know me. I mean, Give so me do I, but like, I, when I saw this, I was just wondering, like, maybe we've just like been there and done that. Like We're in 2022. Maybe this like was a thing that, in 2010 no, or whatever. Oh, my glasses are tinted, too. I'm seeing everything different colors. Let me take these off. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's still terrible. That's a tough call. So like, what is she wearing? Is it like an Argyle this, this print? Is no longer you work in Vogue? Fashion. This is no longer in fashion. When was Argyle in fashion? Something funny. In fairness to Meryl Streep, Anne Hathaway, no, day no, one no, as an assistant, shouldn't like should be laughing. Anna yeah, shouldn't be laughing derisively. Like, like, how about just keep it in, keep it quiet and tell your friends later? You know? Because she doesn't. It's not that I disagree with you. It's just like who's sneering at their. Boss at, at work. Because guess what? One. She's a terrible oh. hire. She doesn't she like the was industry. Right, that's so you fair. think this has nothing to do with you? Here we go. Here's the big take. Here's the big you famous speech. Go to your closet, and you select I don't know that lumpy blue sweater, for instance, because Rude. you're trying to tell God, the world Meryl. that you. Uh, Meryl's. Fo- I'm sorry. Meryl's phoning it in. Meryl's fucking phoning it in. Meryl's phoning it in. I don't think it's like. But I think she. I think she gets a free pass on these like nominations for fun performances. I don't think she's phoning it in. I just don't think. Academy can you pause award winning Sorry, Margo, can you pause it for one second? It's an Academy Award winning performance. Here, here, this is a very important point, okay? I do not blame Meryl for phoning it in. You deserve to phone in some performances. I think what happened to her is what you're implying, which is that like Meryl's like, oh, I'm gonna do this like fun movie for a fucking paycheck. I'm gonna like do an Anna Winter it's sort fun of. To come in, I do a fun right? thing. Right. Uh, and but then that there was this weird obligation to nominate Meryl for every single performance yeah, she was no, in. No need. There was no need. Like Zero. just let Meryl like phone in a performance. Just, I'm not saying. Look, I am not blaming Meryl for phoning this in. I am blaming everyone else for like forcing Meryl to always give, always be like Academy Award level in terms of her performances. This to me 
it's 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 fun at times. She does a little thing it that is. she's not trying. Look, she, like, go watch fucking Sophie's Choice. Look at look at the I look understand. at the fucking arsenal that she has at her disposal, and then watch this movie. I think what she's you're getting at, I think in. what you're getting at is like the main thing of this movie, which is it is overhyped. Yes, it's it over-hyped. is overhyped. It's overhyped. Okay, it's fair. It, Acad- Meryl shouldn't have won or been nominated for an Academy Award for her performance. She should have. Tooch and I have the same glasses. Look at that. She should have gotten you know a nice review for being like fun in a fun comedy i don't think this movie is bad i think this movie is just a comedy for a specific group of people this book was very popular they turned it into a movie and the movie is cute and funny and fun it is not uh brilliant it's not before fucking sunrise it's not in the mood for love but it's certainly not um what's that horrible jay baruchel film it's not uh she's out of my it's league. not she's out of my league it's it, but it, it thinks... it's not the seventh seal okay it's not one of these bad movies we watch it's it's a good movie i'm kidding folks um it's a it's it, it's just a totally it competent thinks... not it... romantic comedy but it doesn't but think like it giving it, it, you comedy it thinks it's, it's better it's, than it's that cute. though it thinks it's, it's funny. better than that it thinks it's a well, sort of I think it's a totally New serviceable, high-level rom-com, easy, good old-fashioned uh, workplace comedy, Whatever. 2006, softball pitches, homophobic movie that's totally fucking benign. Stanley Tucci gives the most hateful homophobic performance in Hollywood. This needs to be said. This needs to be said because I love Stanley Tucci from I the adore, bottom of my heart. I lo- we love Tucci. I love Big Night's one of my favorite movies. I, oh, I, I love Big Night. I, I fucking watched uh, his uh, his uh, taste of his voyage to Italy, his CNN we'll show where he goes through Italy. We'll talk about that in a second. Eats. I've watched that There's a lot times. of people mad about Tucci. him for that one. Okay, He is doing some real... He's, he's really... Tucci is cast as... As the gay assistant in this film to Anna Wintour, Mega Meryl Streep's Anna Wintour. And what he does is he is the most vindictive, fat shaming, uh, sneering snob ever put to celluloid. I will say this. Yeah. He's exhibit A of why the majority of, of gay roles, gay character roles, should go to gay actors. Gay actors should be the ones establishing the template. For too often, it was like. It was this, it was what we see Tucci doing here, where straight actors are establishing the template of what a gay character should be like in, so in Hollywood offensive. movies. And and it is very much, as much as I love Tucci, it is so clearly a straight person's version of, of Folks, queerness. this is Danish gay. girl level shit. This is the worst, I, I, this is some of the worst gay assistant shit I've ever seen. And, uh, and people that are above a size six, it's rather hateful to them. Uh, women's six. It's a very hateful little film. Um, but ultimately I thought that it was like, you know, totally does, fine and funny. It passes and, and off. Fine. Well, you're, 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 you're listing some pretty serious crimes though. I mean, well, it does. But Brett, lots of movies are hateful motherfucking movies. Well, you well know? we're talking about this one right now. And, and I'm does, saying that it's pretty good. It's fine. This is always about the, the awareness of the film of its own content. And this movie is, doesn't, that stuff is not presented as satire. It's not presented as, as like the the um, the uh, unfair beauty standards of the fashion industry. I mean, maybe like a little. I thought bit. it was going down maybe that a path, little bit, but like but maybe sometimes really. to, just, to just kind of get its own backseat. Not just really. Its, own it's treated bullshit. as sort of a gag. It's treated yeah. as a gag to have fun with. Um, uh, and similarly, uh, there was a a a meme going around on Twitter for a while about like the the 
the villain that uh, the villain of the movie as it's presented to you and the the true villain of the movie. And Devil Wears Prada was one of the big uh, answers to that meme because they would say that uh, Miranda um, Meryl Streep's character is the villain that's presented to you, but Adrian Grenier's uh, like uh, constantly negging he was uh, horrible gaslighting boyfriend is the true villain. He was terrible. I was expecting going in no, knowing that that was one of the contexts I had going into this movie was that meme, and I was like, well, surely the movie kind of gets this and presents him as such. It doesn't. It doesn't. It presents him as like that's a good point. He is like he is he is like. He knows the real Anne Hathaway, and he just wants her to be authentic and not be this fashion phony. Uh, when in fact, all he does is is just is he is constantly uh, like 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 little microaggressions. He's like the king, oh, he's like a sure. king of microaggressions. in This movie, constant microaggressions. He's so telling cruel. Anne Hathaway that she's like turned her back on her true self, and that she um, she like isn't you know, uh, smart enough to, like, find her own way and that she needs to, like, listen to his advice and, like, he's the only one who has the key to her authenticity yeah. and all this fucking bullshit. Yeah. Um, and the movie is kind of on his side in I, the way in that the movie, movie plays out. Brett is not lying to you, folks. The movie is on his side. Um, another, another, honestly, another arrow uh, right in this movie's heart. Margo, thank you so much. We're done with this horrendous scene, but I appreciate it. But, Brett, I, I have to I have to tell you... Um, Sure. Uh, I guess you could be really, you know, it didn't quote unquote age well, but, you know, because I think it's a hateful little film. But I have to say that um, it really really is. It really is. But you know what, though? Um, uh, For a 2006 workplace uh, comedy, um, I think that it was pretty funny. I liked the film. It's a dumb little rom-commy kind of a flick. It's it's not before sunrise. It's not in the mood for love. It's just a 2006 comedy that someone accidentally gave a Golden Globe. Probably, you know, not my fault that it got a Golden Globe. It's not its fault it got a Golden Globe. The movie is the movie's funny. Meryl Streep pulls pulls weight, cracks cracks some jokes. This is a bad. This is a this is a bad. This is a bad movie. This is a bad movie. At no point in this movie did I have fun. Did I enjoy myself? Did I did I did I say I like what's happening on the screen right now? I don't. You know. I don't. You know. Do I didn't like what's happening on the screen? This movie should never even. Movie is fine. The plot, you know? the plot never even like should what's have happening on the screen. The plot never should have shit. even happened because Anne Hathaway is wildly unprepared for this job. They do. She doesn't like the fashion industry. She essentially is trying to tear it down from it's the based inside. On a, it's based on a true story, buddy. She, oh, is it? I don't know. Is it though? Wasn't it? I yeah, don't it know. Is. Who yeah. cares? I don't, I don't know. Here's the thing. Anne Hathaway never should have gotten this job. She gets the job as we didn't do your 60 second review. We keep forgetting to do your damn 60 second reviews. You guys know what the you devil guys are. You guys I'll, know I'll what the devil is. We'll do it for Petra von Kant, which deserves it. I'll do Petra von Kant. You know what Devil's Prize is about. Anne Hathaway gets this Anne Hathaway job. She is gets a regular the job with the assistant. Who, with she gets an assistant. assistant job for Anna Wintour, played by uh, Meryl Streep. Uh, <laughs> this is the end of the. <laughs> <we're> she, explaining. <laughs> this is the end. This she, is the end of the bit. Hold on, hold okay. on. She. Does not like the fashion industry. She wants a job in journalism. This is presented to us as one of the most competitive jobs in the fashion industry. Anna Wintour's fucking assistant. We are then given the classic scene where she has a terrible interview. It goes poorly. She knows nothing about the job. She is a terrible fit. This is not the right person to hire, screams Anne Hathaway. Then uh, she gives a little bit of sass at the very end. You know what? You're being mean to me and I don't like it. And then uh, Meryl Streep turns around in her, in her chair and she goes, wait. And then we cut to we Anne some, Hathaway. We, some of that. we cut to Anne Hathaway having the job. This is how Anna Wintour chooses her assistant. It's a cute, funny little movie. It is ridiculous. Here's the thing, though. That is a trope that has worked before. Absolutely. This is a, we've talked about this before. 
You can't just check a box on the trope. You have to actually execute the fucking trope, and they don't. There is no reason why Anne Hathaway should be working for Meryl Streep in this movie. This movie should not exist. It's not brilliant satire. It's totally serviceable. It should it's not exist. satire it should, at all. I said it's not satire. It's totally serviceable, and it, it should exist, minus all the hate, because they should make more comedy movies. It's no crime to make a comedy, folks. Make this a comedy. It's barely a comedy. Make, Emily make, Blunt does good work. Make comedy. I love Emily Blunt. <laughs> Enough about Devil Wears Prada. Let's get into a real movie, The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant, which came out in 1972 and directed by that mad genius of cinema, Rainer Werner Fassbinder. Uh, we will surely watch more Fassbinder movies on this podcast, and I can't wait because, wow, what a body of work. And he did it so quickly. Uh, Fassbinder, I mean, one of the true, uh, he died. Uh, at age 37 from a cocaine barbiturate o- overdose, uh, which is very sad. However, at that point, at 37, he had I, – I, I, I always read this. I've read this a hundred times, and I don't know how it's true. At age 37, he had completed uh, 40 feature films, two television series, three short films, four video productions, and 24 plays. That's the punchline, 24 plays. He was, uh, by all accounts um, – a absolute, um, a man just possessed by passion, possessed with a vision, uh, a man who worked, uh, they say it was the co- cocaine and barbiturates. I mean, listen to that. He worked himself to death. It was the cocaine and barbiturates. Was and there the cocaine to keep and the barbiturates. Working, sure. But also the working. That's but he, I mean, he gave us everything he had in his fucking being yeah, man. by the age of 37. 40 feature films and so many fucking all-time Stone Cold classics. Um, a guy who, uh, and what an insane filmography. I mean, he's like, at times it's theater, at times it's camp, at times he's doing genre, sci-fi, noir, etc. cetera, uh, period pieces, weird hallucinations from the past. Sometimes he seems like Brecht. Sometimes he seems like Douglas Sirk. Sometimes he seems like John Waters. Just a true Godard. fucking mad genius, yeah. Godard. He was the catalyst of um, what they call New German cinema, which was, of course, Germany's answer to the French New Wave or Germany's version of the French New Wave. Um, you know, all, 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 all those different countries and regions of Europe going through their own new waves in the 60s and 70s. Mm. He was the one that really brought Germany into that new wave period. And really, New German cinema, I think you could argue, is kind of the first... Um, real coherent artistic expression coming out of Germany post third Reich, post Nazism, post, you know, kind of collapse of their society and, and rebuilding. Um, and so Fastbinder, uh, just a true giant of, of cinema. Uh, and I like that we're starting with the bitter tears of Petra von Kahn. If I can give a little personal anecdote here, this movie means so well, much means. to me. Um, it was the first time I watched it was, uh, at the university of Georgia shout out, uh, to Athens, to the Bulldogs, um, the library at the University of Georgia, the main library on the sixth floor of the library, they had a film, a film library. Uh, and I had read that uh, it used to be a favorite uh, haunt of Kate Pearson from the B-52s. She used to go up there with her cool friends and her fucking beehive hairdo cool. and rent Fellini movies and this and that. Sick. The thing that was very cool about this film library, though, I say very cool. You'll have to go with me on this because it was very time and place. I'm right here with you. 
you couldn't leave the sixth floor with the movies. You couldn't rent them and take them home. You would, uh, you they would give you they would give you a VHS or a DVD or whatever, and you would walk it over to a yeah. a like pod, a cubicle, mm-hmm. and you would sit down in front of a a, mm-hmm. a um, VCR TV, and you have to watch it there. Yeah. But I tell you, those were some of the best fucking viewing experiences of my life. Because talk about a captive audience. This is pre smartphones. This is pre social media, baby. I'm talking the golden age of watching movies without distractions. And I remember. Getting renting bitter tears of Petra von Kant, walking that goddamn VHS, that big, big thick block of a of a tape over to the little TV, sticking it in, and then sitting there for two hours and watching Petra von Kant. I was fucking enthralled by every second of it. Uh, and this most recent viewing, I did try to watch it with clear eyes. I tried to move all that history out of the way and just say, let me watch it with clear eyes. Same experience, baby. Mm. What a fucking banger this movie is. Mm. Wow. An amazing first-time experience for you, and I had an amazing first-time experience this weekend in my house watching this film for the first time, and I will agree with you. It is a banger. Um, This movie is the real deal. You know what I realized watching this movie, Brett? Mm -hmm. We have like a joke nowadays when you watch um, Marvel films that every single time, you know, the stakes seem to be so preposterous that they are rendered useless. Right. Like, yes. oh, the entire world and the multiverse will suck into itself and fucking kill everybody, yeah. and then the, the realities will collapse, and then everybody will die if we don't do it. Thanos like, is going to snap his fingers, like, and, every, and like, like, okay, ha- like everything ends? Fucking do it, it always then. feels it. sort of like, it's just like, okay. It's like, and then every movie, no matter what it is, you go to the movie, and it's like, the world's going to die if we don't do it. It's like, and they think that Ugh. that, if everybody dies, yeah. then the stakes are high. And what this movie reminded me most was that, um, the stakes of a film can be how uh, exciting your ideas can be. Yes. This movie's high yes. stakes as shit because yes. the ideas that Fassbinder's putting forth are radical and exciting and fresh and scary, even in 2022, and beautiful and bizarre and, and human. And, human. Um, and the stakes are so high, and it's just a movie, and we'll get into my 60 seconds what it is. We will. It's a play. It's a play with four or five uh, women and their lives together and how their lives intertwine and how they fall apart. And that's the stakes. The stakes is just their relationships. But but the stakes for the viewer is in how high octane Fassbinder can oh. push ideas. Oh. Ideas. Yes, yes, yes. Way yes, more yes, powerful yes, than yes. if Petra von Kant was wearing an alien and was going to burst in her door and destroy everybody in West Germany. And not just ideas, but an aesthetic, style, look. Mm. Uh, choreography. Um, I'm going to push back slightly uh, in a second against classifying this as a play, but answer me this before you do your 60-second review. Does this film have more than one location? No. Does this film have more than 10 characters? No. And the stakes are higher, twice as high, three times, four times, five times as high as a fucking Avengers Endgame or they, whatever. They actually, going on they, it doesn't matter Marvel in every movie universe. where it's like, okay, then the, the aliens are going to destroy the world it's like good destroy the world then i can be at peace but at fassbinder i actually have actual stakes where i'm like oh fuck what do do we think about morality and mortality and love and everything lingers joe i've been desperate for one of your 60 second reviews can you please summarize the bitter tears of petra von kant 60 seconds starting now petra von kant is a, a movie that takes place in the apartment of one petra von kant over five acts as she deals with 
love and family that flits in and out of her life. Petra is sort of this duplicitous, conniving fashion maven who is quick with a lie and has like a sordid past and is a passionate lover and a, and a, and a wonderful drunk. And it follows her throughout five acts as she falls in love, out of love, has conversations about, about sex, marriage, relationships, um, uh, family, uh, in the film, we meet her cousin, we meet her lover, Karen, we meet her, you know, servant and perhaps, you know, psychological lover, Marlene. Oh, Marlene. And I love Marlene, my favorite character. And we follow her as she destroys all of her relationships and ends up in a beautiful ball Five seconds. on the floor, crushed and sad and alone. Um, thank great. you, Brett, for the 60 summary. seconds. Great and summary. I'm not going to do any more summary. plot because that's that's my job, but also just to say some things about the set please, really please, quick. Please, please. It takes place, like Brett said, in her apartment, which is designed very specifically. In the center of the department is in a, a family room, is in a sitting hole. It is in like a, a television. In the center of her room is her bed, upon which she has her guests sort of lay and sprawl and sit and talk with uh, her as she goes through her day. And then around her bed, sort of on the lower floor, involve things like assorted mannequins, Marlene's desk that she's typing on constantly, her assistant, um, a, a bar cart, and sort of stairs to upstairs that we never go, and also the door out that we never leave. And then on one wall is a beautiful, Brett, I'm so sorry, I don't know the actual painting, do you? Poussin's uh, Midas and Bacchus. Nicholas she Poussin's has in, Midas and Bacchus. sort of like a triptych like on her yes. wall. Uh, that large Renaissance painting, which gives it's so brilliant. It's very Baroque. It's and beautiful, beautiful colors, it, and it just it, brilliantly it, yes. used by Fassbinder. Anyway, so I just want to paint the scene. Um, that's sort of the setting where all five of these acts take place. The only way we know the acts have changed, besides you know uh, whatever, like a black uh, moment, is you know uh, Petra's wearing a different outfit every single time, as are her her uh, uh, other women in her life. Um, and this movie is about you know, sadomasochism and love and what love means to us. And Petra is not the world's most lovable lady. She is... Um, not at all. She's uh, a liar. She, that's the first thing we learn about her. She's a liar and she's quick with a lie and she's happy to tell a lie and she sort of smiles and sneers at those around her. Not that this matters really, but in the context of this film, it definitely has, says something about Petra is that she sends her daughter away to boarding school. She takes multiple lovers. She talks about her husbands and uh, her. she's had multiple husbands that have died or been divorced. She sort of just you know, just ripping her way through life, uh, making it all about herself. And shockingly, or not shockingly at all, this leads her down uh, a path ultimately to uh, loneliness or freedom or whatever you want to call it. And this is why I think this movie epitomizes fashion is because Petra von Kant, in a, I mean, beyond the outfits, which are fucking stunning and so fucking cool. timeless and would They're be the awesome. coolest fucking thing on a runway today. Beyond that, though, and beyond the gorgeous set design, as Joe has said, you have the big Baroque painting, you have mannequin heads, you have typewriters, you have spiral staircases, you have bowls of fruit, you have furs and jewels. Everything in this movie is gorgeous. The surface of it is gorgeous. But beyond that, this movie epitomizes fashion to me because Petra von Kant, it, uh, as a fashion designer, as a fashion designer, she is a as a seems to be like a semi-famous fashion designer. To be fair, um, no, she seems like she was really popular, was, but yes, now she's kind of, sort like of coming the, back. She has debt, and and she's had she's she, she's coming back though. Broken relationship. She's trying to come yeah. back, right? Uh, but. 
she epitomizes fashion to me because she has she has she constantly is amping up amp amping up everything exaggerating everything dramatizing everything um everything is she moves like every she moves like her movements are choreographed through her own bedroom we are in like the most intimate space usually when you see a character in their bedroom the most intimate space they are they let their hair down they relax uh, Petra is it's performing. Her it's Petra her stage. is fucking Good point. performing. Yeah, exactly. Right? She is on stage. And so she is amplifying everything, exaggerating everything. She's lying to make things more interesting or to get out of a situation. Um, she is amping up her own history. Uh, she she talks about uh, past lovers, past husbands with a great deal of romanticism and, and tragedy. Um, but at the same time, so she creates this big kind of fake beauty, this big sort of all this like falseness that's striving towards an aesthetic beauty or 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 or, or an, sort of just a, just an interestingness. All of these lies striving towards something that is interesting and beautiful and big. At the same time, I believe that this character is truly in search of authenticity at the same time, is in search of authentic, is in search of real love, is in search of real connection. Um, and so she's doing these two things at once where she is being as theatrical and um, aesthetic and beautiful as possible while also doing what we all do, which is searching for connection and searching for love and being very frustrated when she can't find it. Um, and that creates such a dynamic tension, such a sort of operatic tension in in this movie. Um, go ahead. No, agreed. You do end up rooting for Petra. Right? She's not like particularly nice. She's manipulative, and we'll she's, talk about and she's she treats Marlena. Marla- she treats yes. her assistant cruelly. Yes. We'll, we'll talk about um, that. Yes, but you do the end up rooting movie, for Marlena. Ca- yeah. oh, oh my best. god, she doesn't say a word. She's the best character. This oh, take fucking notes, everybody. Speaking of tropes, the character who doesn't talk, don't give them a fucking line <laughs> at the end of the movie. Don't do the fucking yeah. Silent Bob shit where they have some speech or they hey, say no something. Marlena is never says a word of dialogue in this movie and 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 has such a such fucking powerful presence because of that. And she communicates so much through her absence of dialogue. But let's hold off on that for a second. Okay. What I want to say, I want to push back a little bit against your classification of this as a play. And that's a little silly because it literally is based on a play that Fastbinder wrote. It is one set, it is limited characters. However, I was on this viewing in particular, I was blown away by the amount of cinematic compositions that he finds in one fucking bedroom. It is insane. I don't think you get a duplicate composition in this fu- in this movie. He It's shocking. It is unreal. It's the coolest the thing camera, I've ever seen. The it, it's camera a, it's f- as beautiful as could be, folks. Floats from like beautiful composition to beautiful composition. And I, by and what I'm talking about is like foreground, middle ground, background. Every fucking scene is stacked. Every scene is a fucking, every shot is a fucking masterpiece. Every scene, every shot, he, the way he arranges the actors, the way he will, uh, similar to In the Mood for Love, put like sort of obstructions in the foreground, mannequin heads, this and that, so cool. as a way of framing the action mm. in the background. Mm. Uh, the way he will choreograph actors' movements, the blocking is so fucking sound and He consistent. uses stairwells and bookcases to reframe his pictures. Um, and shots that you know to create different uh, uh, spaces where characters yes. can be. Yes, it's brilliant uh, beyond brilliant. This movie's two hours long. Yeah. Two hours long, shot in one bedroom, yeah. and I'm telling you, 
every he does not duplicate compositions in every single one. There are so many, and he's not doing super long shots. This isn't John Dale Man where he's doing no. like like. There's Although a lot he, of he has some lovely. He has some great long he, long shots. He's patient, but they're not long. But they're I, not I, like no. long long. No, no. He there are a lot of a lot of shots in this movie. No duplicates. Everyone a fucking masterpiece. Find me another movie that does what this movie does in terms of its compositions. I don't you know if you, you won't be able to find one. Fucking gorgeous movie. But Brett, to, that's why I would push it against, back as a play, is that like, it's such a film to me because of that aspect. To, to push back is not what I'm going to do, but to like push back a bit to your thing about that is, yes. no, this movie is a film. This movie is perfectly and beautifully composed and brilliantly lit and well you know, created as a film for a film. Like when we, when we talked about Red Shoes, we talked about how oh, they're on a stage, but Red Shoes is shot so brilliantly and so cinematically that you're sort of brought back into the theater. You know, that that, the, that's that feeling of being in a theater and being as intimate and close with the performance can never be captured by film. So in the Red Shoes, what they did is they made it um, like a brilliant dreamlike dance scape that was shot so gorgeously that it sort of replicated that feeling of intimacy that you get from being in the theater. So I guess when I saw call this as a play, yes, it's because there's five characters and they're all in one room and you know they just change their costumes a bit and it was a play. Um yeah, and he is yeah. a theater director. Yes. But I also say it's a play because um because of how he composes um the film to be as intimate and beautiful as possible. But also though all of the like it's semantics. I think we're both right. We're, we're both. No, right. We're, both we're both enjoying right. yeah. the semantics, though. I'm not. It's not like a fight. It's just like a, it, it, it's, it's. It's not a fight. <laughs> it's um, it's a film. It's a film through and through. But man, is the theater training and the influence apparent. of everything that's it's happening yeah. in Germany at the time. You know, whether that's Brecht or whomever, um, in Fassbinder himself, it's so obvious. Like, by the way, just because it's cinematic, just to stand up for my plays for a second, cinema people aren't. They're not playing with levels and depth and characters and the way Marlene's in the foreground and Petra's in the front ground and they're making triangles throughout the whole film yeah, yeah, and yeah, one's yeah, low, yeah. one's medium, well, one's let's high. Well, let's combine. Let's combine. This is this is somebody who loves film, but this is somebody who loves theater. Let's synthesize our points of view. Let's create a Hegelian synthesis of our points of view. That's great. I think this is the perfect marriage of theater and film. This movie is the yes. perfect fucking marriage of theater and film. I agree. I can't it's the think best of a film. better the marriage best of, theater. of theater and film it's fucking cool. than The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant. Uh, let's start. Let, let's look at... Um, we're going to come back to Marlena, so I'm going to hold off on the Marlena Marlena's scenes. awesome, man. Uh, I love that we only watched one uh, Devil Wears Prada scene, and we're about to watch fucking five uh, Bitter Tears of That's Petra fine. von Kant scenes. Let's see. Um, and I will say, uh, uh, going into this, either sign up for Forever Dog Plus and watch these yeah. with us or watch this fucking movie. I'm yeah. telling you right or, now. Or just watch We will movie. do our best. We are, words will be inadequate. We we are, we are no. inadequate to the task of describing the beauty and the fucking uh, craft of this movie to you. So we'll try, but watch it for yourself or just sign up for Forever Dog Plus and watch it along with us. Let's start at uh, around 55 minutes. 55 minutes. You know, I, just, I just wrote choreography for 55 let's minutes. Do it. I don't know what that means. We'll see. We'll see. Plus I mean, I know what that means, but we'll see what this is. So we hear the clack, clack, clack of Marlena's typewriter in the background. That's Petra's uh, future lover at this point, Karen. Or, or I guess they are. So, they haven't moved in together yet, but they're they're 
They're canoodling. Is that so, Brett? Or That's they, right. They Karen canoodle, yeah. wants to be a model, uh, and Petra has taken her under her wing as her... Uh, I love Petra. She's uh, a mess. Look what Petra's wearing on foreverdog.plus. She's a mess. I love her. So Petra gets up and moves behind Karen, who stays in profile. It's so She beautiful. is wearing something out of a fucking Eugene Delacroix painting. She looks fucking insane. She's wearing, like... Like she's an ancient queen going yeah, into battle. It, 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 it's, it's the, it's the Bengals walk like an Egyptian music. She's in her video. bedroom. This is a best fucking movie of all time. <laughs> I'm sure she's calling for drinks. We have the official West German version playing. There's no subtitles. No subtitles. She's definitely asking for champagne, though. Okay, here's Marlena, folks. Oh, Marlena. My God. You know, it's funny you mentioned. You want the key to my sexuality, Marlena? I had the biggest crush on Marlena in college. Marlena was literally interesting, but but interesting but understandable, folks. Interesting but understandable. They're now. See the way they're sitting. Like, give me theater, Fassbinder. You know what I mean? He's doing a little Bergman, little Bergman persona move here too, where they are like another theater guy. Petra is these theater kids in Europe making movies. Petra's behind Karen, but they are sort of layered in such a way where they almost look like they're. One entity, one creature. It's funny you mentioned the word dialectic at this, Brett, because I thought this whole entire movie, speaking of Germany, was really giving me some nice dialectics, especially between Karen yes. and Petra, yes. as Petra's version of uh, both parenthood and marriage is different than Karen's, uh, completely opposite, completely diametrically opposed. But at the end, Fassbinder finds an absolutely gorgeous synthesis about how we're all sort of suffering the same pain. And and living uh, happily through the same joys. What more do we have to br say? What more do we have to say? By Fassbinder as well, folks. If you've watched it, you know. If you haven't watched it, you gotta watch it. Life is short, people. Life is watch short. The bitter tears of Petra von. Watch Kant. the bitter von. Bitter the bitter von tears of Petra. The bitter. Von Kant. The bit. Uh, Margo, can we go to 131? 131. Let's just keep this party fucking rolling. Here, folks. If you're on plus, you can see. Oh, bang, bang, bang. Shot, shot, shot. Good God. Yeah. I, I, oh my oh, God. This is fucking this is amazing. This All right. Is so this is where. Uh, can we pause it for one second? Let's just look at this. All right. So this is where. Uh, Give me. Uh, so it turns out that Karen has a husband uh, that she had implied that they were like on the outs and they were. Because um, basically, all the characters in this movie. Uh, all the characters in this movie are um, uh, socially heterosexual and then and then privately homosexual. They like they maintain uh, uh, heterosexual relationships uh, with men, but then uh, are are primarily we're, we're led to believe queer yeah. in terms of their their deepest uh, longings. Their deepest one. You this know, movie yeah. is the gayest thing you've ever darn seen, and it is spicy, folks. The love is crackling, but they do all have beards or what have you. Uh, they have husbands out there. We never see the husbands, which is great. They're all just out it's there perfect. fucking, I don't care you know, less about the fucking husbands. Uh, you know, uh, uh, redlining mortgages Who or whatever, whatever husbands Fuck do em. in the 70s. Um, and so uh, in this scene, though, Karen, uh, who has implied that she was on the outs with her husband, uh, is actually announced to Petra that she is uh, going to um, reconnect with her husband. Um, and so Petra kind of, or, or sorry, Karen kind of, I think, was playing Petra a little bit for her connections and possibly playing up her queerness a little bit more than she really felt Ooh. in order to utilize uh, Petra for connections in the fashion world. Petra, though, was, was Petra is in fucking over love, is fucking inconsolably, so, like, just deeply, torturously, I'm going to kill myself in love right now. 
And then Karen says she's going to leave. Now Petra is has grabbed her. The movie and the painting have now combined. The, the movie and the painting are now brilliance. one. The movie is fucking Renaissance Baroque art. It is it's saying so we have ascended to the point of this painting that has been floating in the background. And the two things, if you look closely, really with my glasses on, I have these red tinted glasses on. It even exaggerates the effect. It looks like they're in the painting right now. It looks like they are one with the. So painting. if you're at home, go get red tinted glasses. Get it's red even tinted glasses than just regular glasses watching the movie. And you will see what I'm talking about. They are even without the glasses. I can see it. They are they are one with the painting. They have ascended to this point of true high Renaissance tragic art. Uh, Petra von Kant is grabbing at Karen's knee. She says, "Don't leave me." And Karen is looking off into the distances, though I'm going to leave you and you know I'm going to leave you and I don't give a shit. Let's play it, Margo. And the bed, the rumpled sheets in the foreground. And Karen's just living right now with her face turned to the side. She's she's almost cracking a smile. She fucking adores torturing Petra. Yes, because Karen is saying... There's a lot of sadomasochism in this film. Karen is saying, if I can do this to Petra... Oh, Petra spits in her face. And Marlena loves it. Marlena Marlena loves it. Marlena turns. sexually interested, but also, you know, curious. We'll get to Marlena. We'll get to Marlena. We will get to Marlena. Karen wipes it away. Karen says, if I can do this, if I can reduce the Anna Wintour of 1970s West Germany to this... What else am I capable yeah, of? Yeah, Petra's Karen's coming into her power Karen. right now. Oh, yeah. Petra really loses it with Karen, doesn't Karen she? Karen says, I've reduced you to a dog. I've reduced you to a spitting animal. Now Petra's trying to come back. She's saying, no, no, I did. You know, it's us, baby. It's us. It's us. It's you and me. Petra thought she was playing Karen, like, oh, I'm the powerful one. Uh, 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 Karen uh, uh, just absolutely owns Petra by the end of this I relationship. I fucking love this movie. Yeah, this movie's really good. I, I want to watch it again. I hope it goes in the canon, not the trash can. I don't know. I'd love to watch this movie again. Um, oh, but a single tear coming from Karen's eye as though there is a sp- okay, there is there is something Sancho. underneath all the Stratagems in the games. There is true feeling. Marlena's just dressing one of the disgusting, freakish mannequins. That, Marlena's that just at work. Marlena's at work. Marlena, the whole entire time is at work. All right, let's get into Marlena. Um, uh, Margo, can you go back to um, seven twenty? Seven twenty. This was to go back to my original. To go back in time. I'm a, uh, I am I, I was probably uh, 19, 20 years old. I'm watching um, Petra von Kant in the, on the sixth floor of the University of Georgia Library. I'm interested. I saw the Baroque painting. I'm interested. I'm in, oh, what's going on here? This is very interesting. I'll give you one guess. The first thing that fucking where I was like, oh, this is this is this is my movie. What was the first thing you think? The first moment where I was just like, oh, uh, Marlena. Marlene's appearance, but then, okay. but then, the gin, <laughs> just the presence of gin. <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> when Petra puts on the platters, uh, smoke gets in your eyes, and they dance. Oh yeah, I yeah, was like, yeah, "Fucking yeah, yeah, like, kill me!" Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. This no, is I'm it. With you. All right, I'm let's, uh, Margaret, let's play yeah. this. I think it's coming. And, and the, we might and, have to watch and, a little bit. And the whole bit. song plays in yeah. real time. Yes, it's so yes. cool, and it ends at the perfect moment too, Brett. Right. It ends. They they practiced it ten thousand times because it's perfect when they shoot it. So Marlena is Petra's 
assistant, but it's also implied that she is... She's doing everything, uh, Much like Cruella in the movie Cruella, much like Emma Stone's Cruella, that she is like the brains of the operation. She's the one that is really she's coming up. She's drawing the fashion. She's sending the telegrams. She's figuring out she's the... Ordering she's ordering the actually doing she's the work. She's getting the house clean. She's, she's doing, doing everything. Petra treats her badly. It is implied that Marlena is um, has consented to this treatment, though. That Marlena, no, it, it's a Fifty Shades of Grey. Thing, it is though. a true. Uh, it's an S and M relationship between yes. Petra and Marlena. One hundred. And Marlena only leaves at the very end. Spoiler alert: when it ceases to be an S and M relationship, because they when have Petra a Fifty starts, Shades of Grey. Thing. As soon as Petra starts to look for real emotional connection with Marlena, Marlena says bye. She immediately packs Fucking her love pack. it. We'll look it's at that cool in a bit. Hell, folks. But this is still the early, early on in the movie. Early on in the movie. This is uh, Petra von Kant literally writing to yes. Joseph Mankiewicz, the famous Hollywood producer, to tell him that she can't pay him back the money that she lent him. She's writing Mank. Rainer, uh, uh, for as much as a fucking artiste with a capital A he was, Fastbinder was obsessed with Hollywood. He was, he was obsessed with, much like the French New Wave was, he was obsessed with, with Douglas Sirk, with classic Hollywood, Let's with go. Golden Age Hollywood. Uh, so he had to throw in this little Joseph Mankiewicz uh, typed letter here, which is such a, such a lovely touch. It's so funny. Marlena comes up the little stairs to the main area where uh, Petra's on the bed, where she's draped in blankets with the phone, smoking a cigarette. She's signing her letter to, to Mank. And Petra is... Marlena just... Marlena's dressed like goddamn Nosferatu to this whole yeah. movie. She and, is and she, dressed in black. She has skin. white... She, she uh, yeah. has a white makeup, like a white makeup on her face yeah, only her face but if you like are into the goth kids that do you know I told you you want crafts, the key to my sexuality do a, do a nothing was I, I was uh, was obsessed with Marlena yeah absolutely obsessed with Marlena when I watched this movie sure alright so Petra she's getting her like ostentatious robe buttoned up smoking about a to cig. play herself a record first thing in the yet morning. to put her wig on so she looks like fucking she can smoke the shit white out of a duke cigarette. era david bowie right now just smoking the fuck out here of comes the, the platter smoke it's in your eyes and you can hear the vinyl you can hear it that's fucking diegetic sound baby that's in the world of the movie it's a good movie folks oh these notes too the, all the music is so killer so in this flawless. movie now she puts on her wig. She's becoming Petra von Kant. She rocks many wigs throughout this film, folks. She's becoming the one, the only, PVK. Looks in a mirror, which is just sitting in her box of records. I like to think she has mirrors stashed all over the room. Everything you could feel as a human being is being felt right now. She grabs Marlena by the hand as she passes uh, by and says, wait a second, Marlena. I wait, have a small, a small token. Dance, a small token, please. Now they slow dance together. Just decades of fucking pain and emotion in both of their faces. Petra wears it more obviously, but Marlena feels it too. There are so many times in the movie when Petra's telling a sad story about the past, and then it just cuts to an insert of Marlena's face. Full of tears. Marlena is the record. Living and dying. The record. On Petra's every The record. Her face is the record of it all. Or she's sad every time Petra thinks about somebody other than her. That might be it too. That might be it too. Very, very interesting. Yeah, I feel like maybe I've made a mistake in ascribing too much to Marlena. She is. She wants to be a cipher. I should treat her as a cipher because she wants to be a cipher. She wants to connote nothing, emote nothing. She's very happy to be to function to serve, and when that function ceases, then she's out. 
All right, let's go to the uh, when Marlena pieces out um, at the very end of the movie. I'm sorry, I don't have a time code, Margo, but this is the very end of the movie. We'll kind of play this. Oh, there's the, the outfit. Colors? Wait, actually, sorry. Go back to where uh, she's in the, the green. Oh, there, in there, there, there. The colors in Look at this. Four let's play this for a second. Holy so shit. Cool. She, she gets rid of the bed, and this she is, rolls around on a shag rug the entire act. It's brilliant. And this is the dress that I have uh, in fourth place, Brett. This is How, the, there's there's fucking five levels to this composition. Because he's a theater guy. You have the mother in the foreground. You have uh, uh, Petra in the middle ground. You have her cousin and daughter in the sort of uh, immediate background. Then you have uh, Marlena in the far background against the stairs. This is the best fucking composition I've ever seen on film. And folks, every single shot is as brilliantly put together as this shot. It's so impressive. Brett, can we please watch a Fassbinder ASAP on the program? Absolutely. I, this I, is I, your I, I, uh, love. And this is also the fit that you uh, that you put in the top five. That's right. That's this right. is the fit with the, right. the sort of carnation choker, the green dress, the blonde wig. You the silver heels. And you have the oh, blonde she wig. She's just fucking. And she's acting her, her, her butt off here. She's tangled in the phone wire. She's rolling around the shag carpet. What can't this movie do? Fastbinder says, Oh, I've run out of compositions. That's what you think. I'm going to move the camera no. to the ground. I'll get rid of the bed. Fuckers. And I'll get rid of the fuck fucking you. bed. Fuck, fuck you. you. Fuck All right, you. let's go to the very end when Marlena leaves. Marlena's so cool. And she's kind of giving me death from Seven Seal. She is. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's fair to Marlena. I, I, no, she, she would love that. You read into her too much and you're cheating. Marlena doesn't, there's fucking, you don't know. You will never know. She's unknowable. She you, is death. She's fucking Anton Chigurh in the fashion industry. Uh, let's keep going a little bit farther past this. Um, let's, right, yes. Back, oh, back a second. A back a, a second. Sorry. Give it a play. Right there. Let's go oh, here. Let's yeah, go here. We'll play this yeah, to the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the end of the movie, folks. Spoiler alert. And it's in German. So, so the, Petra has resigned herself to the fact that she's not going to be with Karen. Karen's left. Karen actually wanted to kind of reconnect with Petra, but Petra said no. She played it off so coy. And now it's just her and Marlena like it was at the beginning of the movie. Her and her trusted assistant slash S&M partner. That's right. Petra's so broken at this point, so heartbroken. This is what happens when, you're, when your S&M partner is the only one left for you to talk to. And so and you try to break you try to break the structure. Dynamic, you right. say, let's break dynamic, let's break kayfabe for a second mm -hmm. and just talk like human beings. And Marlena says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Petra. That wasn't our deal. That wasn't our deal. And she immediately, without saying a word, brilliantly stands up and packs her bag. It's so and, quickly and out of here. What it's I, out of here faster. She like just flops her suitcase on the ground. And what I really love though is also we're another platter Petra, song here, the great pretender. Petra, unlike Karen, she doesn't fall to her knees, she doesn't wrap her arms around Marlena, she doesn't cry and beg, she simply smiles and understands that, hey, Marlena, God bless her soul, she was in it for our dynamic, I tried to take it another direction, and Marlena, the only character with, with full autonomy and control of herself, says, you know what, not for me, Petra, better luck next time. This is over. So we are playing, uh, uh, and Petra put this on because she knows that this is the end of her relationship with Marlena. She puts on the great pretender by the platters. She sits on the bed, stationary in the middle of the shot. Meanwhile, Marlene is going back and forth across the shot, throwing shit into the suitcase. She's out of here. The spell has been broken. Marlene has gone. She puts a fucking gun in the suitcase. We've never seen that no, gun. Yeah, you never seen never the gun. Never seen that she gun until this gun. moment. And guess what? She does nothing with it. She just leaves, folks. It's great. She hesitates for a second, and now she puts the doll that was made to look like Karen. We didn't even get to that. Oh, this movie is fucking wild. And look at Petra. She's smiling. What? Like, what can Petra do? 
Because Petra loves it's, the beauty the, uh, of it, baby. She Petra loves the knows. tragic beauty of it all. Petra's a Petra knows. Petra man. lives for fucking aesthetics. I live she for Petra. She lives for the beauty of it all. Marlena puts on her big fur coat. I, looks I, like your fur I coat. Look like my fur looks coat. Looks like it's like you. What a silhouette. That is a silhouette for the ages Watch right there. Watch the movie. What more can we say? Don't Watch the movie. Don't be a dumb motherfucker. Don't fuck with us. Watch the fucking movie. Oh, she's zipping her suitcase. All of this in real time. We haven't cut. She's got the doll in one hand. She's got the suitcase in the other. Bye. She looks like a goddamn avenging angel. She looks like death. One last look for the ages. Oh, Petra can't help but admire it, baby. She death. can't help but admire it. Taking the childlike oh. doll of Petra with her as she goes. And that's fucking fashion. Margo, we can stop there. That's perfect. That's so good. That's fucking that's fashion, fucking fashion right there. That's fucking fashion. I think that's if Fassbinder was alive, he'd be happy to hear me say, A plus, Fassbinder. There might be equally as good movies. There I are. will go on record. There is not a better movie in existence than that movie. Not a better movie. That movie is fucking pure from start to finish. God damn, it's good. And that's good. fucking fashion. It's really good. It's truly good. I, I, can we legitimately watch more Fastbinder movies? That Absolutely. Awesome. Oh, they're so good. They're so fucking good. Um, Just ideas. Just like idea, ideas for adults. Movies for adults. Well, you know, we almost I almost paired uh, The Matrix with World on a Wire, which is Fassbender's um, uh, kind of sci-fi future matrix movie that he made fucking 30 years before The Matrix came out. Uh, the only reason I didn't is it was a little, little too on the nose because the Wachowskis like, have said that they were in, like directly mm -hmm. inspired by mm -hmm. World on a Wire. And B, it was technically a TV miniseries, so I don't know. Mm. I don't know if that qualifies for Weekend at Bergman. Well, who knows? Maybe we'll do a bonus episode if we get really into Fastbinder. <sighs> We're going to get into Fastbinder. We I might do a, we might do a, more. We might do a month where it's like, give us your, where, where we just, where, we tell the mainstream, give us your best no, it's shot. It's beat Fastbinder. Beat Fastbinder. No, yeah, you've, you've, Hollywood, you've give us your best fucking shot. Beat Fastbinder. Good luck. Good okay. fucking luck. Beat him. Send me your best. Can't wait to see uh, Satan's brew just fucking stomp yeah. on the I don't know the good son or Purell verse seven <laughs> door of the floor I don't know <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> okay. all right well let's talk about it I all mean right. what's gonna go all in the right. cannon what's uh, gonna go in the trash cannon Devil wears Prada get your ass in the damn trash cannon Bye. you piece of shit just go to the trash <laughs> cannon and honestly it's because of Tucci Tucci <laughs> it's not it's, it's Tucci's not. hateful Joe, Joe sure disgusting cruel it's... performance um that that just uh, is you know just just unforgivable Stanley almost as unforgivable as your CNN show where you tour Italy and pretend you're Anthony Bourdain that's so hyperbolic it is uh, just simply a testament to the fact that uh, the majority of gay roles should be played by gay actors so that they set the fucking template uh, and that they have yeah, representation I mean, there also shouldn't be and they have gay assistant agency. characters in fucking dumb movies anymore that's an old trope that should be outdated otherwise of course I do agree with Brett uh, Devil Wars Prada, see you later. Never gonna watch that again. If you want to put gay characters in your film, do a Petra von Kant, folks. Petra von Kant. How about Kant, actual Petra queer cinema, not fucking, you know, fuck yous to, to, to the people, Yeah, how about right? actual queer about cinema, actual cinema and not, uh, yes, and not, not Stanley stupid, Tucci. Stupid little... Uh, doing exclusively gay uh, moments. campy impersonation of a gay Skip person. Skip the exclusively uh, gay moment, fuckers, and give you. me queer cinema till the day I die. I want to be buried in it. It's all I care about. Fastbinder, we love you. We're going to watch more Fastbinder movies. Cool. An absolute fucking icon of the cinema. Next week, next week on Weekend at Bergman's, this one, oh boy, 
This is going to be a tough one. I I truly think this is going to be a tough one. We are watching uh, two vampire movies. Yes. From the art house. Yeah. It is uh, F.W. Murnau's Nosferatu from 1922, the original Nosferatu. This is the, uh, compared with what? The original Nosferatu, and that is going against, from the mainstream, starring Wesley Snipes. We're talking about fucking Blade, baby. <gasps> fucking Blade. Oh, my God. Steven Dorff, Wesley Snipes. Who's going to win that I, one for I real? I do not know. I do not know. There's a lot that is going to... This This might be the toughest one yet. Who's going to win that one There's for real, There's a though? lot that goes into this, because we also have to talk about the fact that... Um, Werner Herzog remade Nosferatu, yeah. and I love his fucking remake. But we're not watching that one, brother. So, okay, but if we put if we put the 1922 Nosferatu, let's just say we do. I'm not saying we are, because the original is fucking German Expressionism at its best, fucking chiaroscuro, fucking shadows, We're doing a German light, thing right baby. now. It might be time to kind of double down. You want to watch the Herzog version? No, I'm just saying... Uh, let's watch all putting, three. No, no, I'm saying putting the 1922 Nosferatu in the trash can does not preclude us from watching the... Um, uh, Herzog remake, 100% right? 100% true. These are separate movies. Okay, good. completely okay, different good. films. Okay, great, 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 great. Um, but we can also, but that's being honest, being honest, we can also not use that as a strategy and saying, well, at least I have the Herzog movie to... No, we, that's not we part can't. of it. We just have to tell which, which movie is better. better. Which you, movie is better? Sit down and watch Blade. Sit down and watch Nosferatu, the original Nosferatu, and you tell me which one you like more. That's as simple as that. Max Shrek. Oh it's as simple God. as that. Just tell me which one you liked watching more. Fi- you think Blade, the fucking fingers no, on no, the no. fucking wall it's gonna of Nosferatu? Be, it's it's going to be an impossible one. I just... Oh. I don't know. Blade's... Thanks so much for hanging out with us. You know what you gotta do. Go and watch Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant. And that's you if gotta. that's even if you've seen it you already. Gotta. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Life is short. That's a good fucking movie to Toss spend some time with. The old, the old Follow us at Weekend Bergman on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Send us your suggestions. Nosferatu vs. Blade is a listener suggestion, by the way. Send us your suggestions. We do listener suggestions. You can hit us up on Twitter with those or email us at weekendbergman at gmail.com. We love you. Be fashionable. Be fashionable. Above all else, be fashionable. As we always say, be fashionable. We'll see you next week. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.